0: Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now, without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. It is good to gather together like this as the church. It's, it's a joy to see you all here. Um, hopefully, you were here last week. As we had, we had ten young people come up and share their testimony. Um, They were um, sharing about what God had done in their lives and how they came to a knowledge and faith in Jesus. And the purpose of that was to then later go out and be baptized. And so uh, last Sunday in the evening, we went to Warren Dunes State Park, went to Lake Michigan. And we baptized these 10 young people. Um, it was cold. It was, it, you know, it's like early August. You'd think that, you know, the sun would be out and you could wear shorts and a t shirt. But boy, it was, the water was very cold as well. Um, but it was also a joy. It was a joyous occasion to see young people not only commit their lives to Christ, Through baptism, but also to see many come around them and support them. So there was just a ton of people that came, family members, but also the congregation that um, that was that came around them and applauded and encouraged and gave hugs, and it was just a joy. Um, And you know what? Justin kind of shared this. I was kind of surprised. In our bulletins or in our worship guides, it still has those. Uh, the list of names of those who were baptized, and he mentioned this, to, to keep praying for them, uh, to keep, you know, if you see them, to encourage them, um, that they will continue in the Lord and, and to follow after him, and that their lives may be lights in, the, in a dark world. You know, that is, that is our prayer. So this morning... So last week, baptism. This morning, we are getting back to the book of Matthew in our Matthew series. And I can't tell you how much I've been looking forward to this specific passage. And I th- it's because I believe this is, a, this is a big turning point in Matthew's narrative, specifically, specifically how Jesus interacts with the disciples and with the crowds we're going to see a little bit of a change here in how he interacts with his disciples and the crowds. And so let me remind you of um, why why I think this is so important. It kind of comes back to the structure of Matthew. Matthew um, kind of breaks things down or is driven by five discourses. So there are five discourses or uh, preaching moments that Jesus has um, that kind of break up or structure the book of Matthew. And so the first discourse was the Sermon on the Mount, right? That was, that was three chapters long, and it's Jesus preaching to the disciples and the crowds. And we spent a really long time working through that discourse. And then there's some Uh, narrative that takes place. We see Jesus healing and doing miraculous works and keeps drawing crowds. And that's when we get the second discourse. And that's when Jesus sends out the 12 and he gives instructions to them and how this is going to look. And so that's the second discourse. It's, It's a whole chapter. And now we're in the third discourse. This is the central discourse. And I think uh, many New Testament authors and even Old Testament authors like to structure things in a way where the the central central pillar or the central thing that they're saying is the main idea, is the whole point of their instructions or narrative. And so I think Matthew's doing the same thing here. So we want to play, pay close attention to chapter 13. Chapter 13, this is what we're going through, is made up of parables. A parable is symb- a, a symbolic or an allegorical story that illustrates deep spiritual truths. And this is the first time we see this come up in the gospel of Matthew. And so, We kind of, as we're going through this and through this whole chapter, we want to ask the question, why now? Why does Jesus start speaking in parables now? Why does Matthew write the gospel in such a way where this is where we start seeing these parables? And here's another question that we have to ask when it comes to these parables. When you look at them and read them through, um, it's kind of like that Sesame Street, um, game where one of these things is not the same, right? I don't know. I can't remember how the song goes, but thank you. Whoever... Yes, thank you, Dan. The worship leader knows the song. Um, yeah, one of these things are, is not like the other. Well, the parable that we're going through today is the one that's not like the others. The others start with something along the lines of the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of heaven is compared with. So we know that those parables are, are about the kingdom of heaven in some way. He's describing the kingdom of heaven. We don't get that phrase here. And I, and I think there's a reason. So we're going to look into this together. Um, let, me, let me give just a, a little review, though, as, as we work through this. Um, well, let me, let me just kind of give you the whole idea here. You see, I think what's going on here and what he's trying to describe is that the, the people are not able to hear, see, or understand what Jesus was telling them. Okay? Uh, throughout... This ministry, and throughout these discourses, the, the interactions with the crowds, they weren't able to receive or hear what Jesus was saying. And so Jesus is now telling them these things, these truths and parables. And specifically in this parable, he's trying to point out why they can't receive it. And it has to do with their heart. Throughout the whole gospel, Jesus continually gets to the heart. He keeps pointing to the heart. And and we're going to see it here in this parable as well. So let me kind of give you just a a quick review, and then we'll read the passage. Uh, Grace will come up and read this for us. So throughout Jesus' ministry, we see him address these matters of the heart. Starting with the Beatitudes, in addition to the ministry of healing and casting out demons, we, we see his disciples, the disciples follow him, the crowds are amazed by him because of what he is doing in, with these miracles, and the religious leaders oppose him. So we see these distinctions, disciples follow, the crowds amazed, Religious leaders opposed. And so in our last chapter, again, Jesus, he confronts the religious leaders about their unwillingness to accept him and uh, his teaching and how he is the promised king. And he also, in uh, the previous chapter, distinguishes between the generation that will be condemned for their refusal to repent and also those who are considered in the family of God because they are uh, wanting to or desiring to follow his will. So there's these people who are resisting and rejecting or um, unwilling to repent, to turn. And he's calling them out. And he's making a distinction between them and those who are part of the family of God. And actually when he says, Those who are my family, he's pointing to the disciples. Okay, so Jesus throughout, or yeah, throughout this narrative, Jesus is making these distinctions, specifically in this past chapter, he was making these distinctions. And and he's going to continue with this idea, specifically in this parable. So here's the main idea that I want us to grasp, and that is, to seek to understand God's word with a contrite heart, and you will bear much fruit. I think this is what Matthew's trying to get at. This is what he's trying to communicate to us. To seek to understand God's word with a contrite heart, and you will bear much fruit. And I think the key phrase there is a contrite heart. Meaning, in order for us to be able to truly understand, that's that's what is necessary. Okay, so hopefully this we'll be able to understand this as we walk through this passage. Uh, Grace, would you be willing to come up and read this passage for us? And just in honor of the word, if you're able to stand, can we stand? Matthew thirteen one through twenty
1: three. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty.
0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would speak through your word, uh, that it would reach our hearts. And through it, Lord, it would it would grow and sprout and bear great fruit. This is our prayer this morning. We we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. All right. So, if you have your Bibles with you and are turned to chapter thirteen, um, you'll see a heading at the beginning of this chapter. And it probably says something along the lines of the parable of the sower. So these headings that we have in our Bibles, um, they're not uh, inspired by God. Uh, these are headings that editors or publishers uh, put in to kind of help summarize the, the section for us so we kind of understand what the passage is about. And, and I think, um, I don't know if they really got this one on target. Uh, it's not necessarily a parable about the sower, uh, the sower. It's actually a parable about the four soils. That's what Jesus is focusing on in this parable, four soils. And specifically, it's about the condition of these four soils. So there's the compacted soil or the soil that it's the path that's hardened. There's the rocky soil, uh, the soil with thorns. And then there's the good soil. And we see that the sower is generous with his seeds, right? He's just going around, just throwing seeds everywhere. And these seeds are landing on all kinds of soil. However, Matthew, uh, there's only he shows that there's only one kind of soil that will allow the seed to sprout and grow and produce fruit. So imagine if you were by the lakeside. Jesus is on the boat and he begins to teach this parable. Imagine being there, being part of the crowd, and if you remember what it was like if if you remember what it was like, like you were there. But it, just imagine what it was like back then in the sense of all these people knew how to grow plants, vegetables, fruit. I mean, this is how they lived. They were farmers. Um, if If they didn't grow their own food, they were probably in big trouble. This is how they survived. They understood what it meant to plant and garden, and they understood soil is very important. So when Jesus is telling them this parable, they're in, they're connected. They understand what he's talking about. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. They understand it. They live it. But there's there's a way in which they're not understanding. The way they understand the parable, but there's another way That they don't understand the parable. Um, I remember back in college, I went to Moody Bible Institute. I studied Bible theology uh, when I was at Moody. And I remember coming back to visit family and I was at my grandparents' house and my grandfather, uh, a devout Catholic, had his Catholic Bible and he's reading in his chair. And I come in and I'm like, oh, grandpa, what are you reading? And he's like, Oh, well, I'm reading Matthew, the book of Matthew. And well, what, what is it about? Well, it's a parable. And he starts reading the parable to me. And then he looks at me and he goes, I don't know what this means. What do you think it means? And here I am, a, a Bible student. And I'm like, um, um interesting, grandpa, and so what I did was I go, let me see, let me see your Bible. Because here's here's at least one here's one of our lessons when it comes to studying the Bible. And if you have a question about a text, the first thing you want to do is look at the context. Context is king when it comes to if you have questions about it. That's the first. Very first place you want to look. So I grabbed the Bible and I'm reading before the parable. I'm like, maybe there's some hints or some clues. And then kind of reading afterwards, some hints and some clues. I'm like, ah, and then I found it. I'm like, wait a minute. If you just keep reading a little bit, it explains the parable. And so I go, well, grandpa, this is what it means. And he was like, wow, I think you're right. That makes sense, and I'm like, well, you know, no, of course I had to actually confess, right? Like I couldn't be like, well, you know, uh, no, no, because I had to give the Bible back, and I knew that he would keep reading and finally get to the explanation, right? So, but here's the thing: uh, we have the Bible, we had the context, but once if we if you read that passage or if you hear that story for the very first time you have no clue what Jesus is talking about. Jesus, great story. We understand soil. We understand what is good soil and what is bad soil. What is your point? Jesus doesn't give the point. He doesn't give the point. He's speaking to the crowd in riddles. So after he tells this cryptic parable, he says something that makes even less sense. He says, let those who hear, hear. Um, okay, I'm, I'm hearing this, but I don't understand. What are you talking about? And we've heard Jesus make this statement before. He's calling for people to listen or understand what he's saying, or you can say it in this way, how can they understand? Um, it's, it's an understanding that is more than just being able to repeat what you've heard. Jesus is getting to something deeper. And this is why the disciples approach him and ask him why he is speaking in parables, because he's sharing these things. He doesn't give explanation and, and the disciples are like, okay, Jesus, what's going on? So this is, this is the second part of this passage, the reason for speaking in parables. Verse 10, the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them. He says, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. So let me just stop right there because this is a shocking statement that Jesus gives. Jesus makes makes a distinction between the the disciples and the crowd. The disciples come up to him. Why are you speaking in parables? To you, disciples, this has been revealed, but to them, the crowds, no. You. Remember that it's the disciples. If you go back to previous chapters, specifically chapter 4, Jesus calls the disciples. And when they're called, they drop everything and they follow him. This is what takes place in chapter 4. They drop everything and they follow him. Then the text says that Jesus goes out preaching the gospel, which that's what he's been doing, but then it adds more to what he does. He starts to heal, and he starts to cast out demons, and word spreads, and crowds start to gather. Why are they gathering? Well, because they know a lot of people who need healing. They're like, wait a minute, there's somebody out there that's healing people? Whether it was them or their friends or their family, they're like, let's go. And so they started grabbing their sick and they started following Jesus. And so here's, here's something that's, I think, really important. The disciples are following him because of what Jesus is speaking. The crowd is following because of what Jesus can do for them think that there's a subtle difference here. And I think it's very telling. And here's the thing, the disciples, these are people like fishermen, right? That's, they're not uh, edu- um, educated, well-educated. They're not philosophers. They're not intellectuals. They're not wise. These are just fishermen and tax collectors, There's nothing special about them that's inherently in them where they hear the word of God and all of a sudden the light comes on or they start to follow. There's nothing special about them that that happens. In fact, Jesus makes it very clear why they follow him in the first place. And this, we can go to John chapter 15. This is verses 15 through 16. He's, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know his ma- what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Speaking to his disciples. What the Father has re- revealed to me, I am revealing to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should bear good fruit. Ah, there's, there's that language again about plants and bearing good fruit. That you should go and bear good fruit and that your fruit should abide. And so the disciples were called, they were Chosen, they were appointed, and they were given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And so, this is by God's sovereign choice to bring some to a saving knowledge by also excluding others. And so we know that it's not by any merit of those God chooses to save. We know that salvation comes by God's grace alone. And so the big question then as we're reading this text, the big question then is why? Why would Jesus choose to reveal the secrets of the kingdom of heaven to the disciples and not to the crowd? Jesus actually explains this. He gives us a reason. And we find it in chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. He he says this phrase about, so that they may see but not understand, or see and not see, and hear but not understand. He he says that phrase, but then he repeats it again by going back to Isaiah chapter 6. So let me Read that to you. He says, This is being fulfilled right now. He says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this, and this is key, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn. It's another key phrase, that phrase, turn, and I would heal them. Why is Jesus repeating or going back to the prophet, specifically Isaiah chapter 6? It's because Isaiah is facing the same, it, um, has the same experience. The same circumstances are taking place. So this is during the time of the king's. And you know, during the kind of time of the kings, there were good kings, there were bad kings. There were, uh, throughout the kings, they started getting worse. There were less good ones and more bad ones. And basically, it's because they kept turning back to idolatry. They were worshiping idols and worshiping pagan gods and uh, sacrificing to them and, and uh, practicing immorality. And Isaiah comes and says, listen, because of your idolatry, because you keep, here's the phrase, turning away from God, turning away from him, going this other direction, there is going to be judgment. And so in Isaiah chapter six, God grabs a hold of Isaiah and says, listen, you are my mouthpiece. Pronounce this judgment upon this unrepentant people and unrepentant means unable unrepentant is not turning right repentance means to turn so they're an unrepentant or they're not willing to turn from their idolatry and so this is what Jesus is quoting to his disciples explaining why he is preaching or teaching in parables it's because he is speaking to an unrepentant people. A people whose hearts are hardened and refuse to hear and understand in such a way that they will turn or repent. So this is this is a word of judgment upon the people. He Jesus is speaking Parables to hide or veil the truth, and it's a form of judgment, just like the Israelites in the time of Isaiah. And and we know that the people that Jesus is speaking to, we know that their hearts are hardened. We know that they refuse repent because Matthew tells us this. He talks about this back in Matthew chapter eleven, verses twenty. And this is this is the time when Jesus. Remember he. Um, Uh, has the 12 disciples go out to minister. So they go out to minister to all these cities, and then Jesus follows along behind and is is ministering as well. And at some point, this is Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, it says that he began to denounce the cities. He speaks judgment or he rebukes them. And it's where most of his mighty works have been done. So this is where people have been gathering around in these cities and they're experiencing the miraculous works of Jesus. But Jesus turns around and denounces them. Why? Well, this is why. Because it says in this verse, they did not repent. They did not turn. They continued to walk in this direction away from God If you recall the Sermon on the Mount and all the interactions afterwards, Jesus, um, it's very interesting. It's very telling from, from what Jesus is teaching here in parables compared to how he was teaching earlier. So if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was very clear. The word of God was clear to them. He did not veil the word. He spoke clearly when he taught the Beatitudes. He spoke clearly when it came to how to treat your neighbor, right? Love your neighbor. Treat treat your neighbor as you would treat yourself. Like the, he, he's just spilling it out for them. How are you supposed to treat your enemy? To love your enemy, right? He talked clearly about how to give an offering and how to fast and how to pray. But because of their hardness of heart, Jesus begins to teach in parables. And here's the wild thing. Because of their hardness of heart, he's going to teach them in parables which will keep their hearts hardened. Because I'm going to teach in a way where they will not be able to understand. And so that's, that's this idea of judgment. Let me give you an example of this. We're going to, you know what, Um, Thad, because of time, we're going to skip Romans. I'm going to, I'm just going to share it. We're not going to read it. But in the book of Romans, Paul does, uh, um, I think Paul read Matthew. He had to have because he explains his theology is right alongside with Jesus here but he's applying it to a different group of people. So we have the Israelites, and this is who Jesus is preaching to and teaching to and telling these parables to, right? The Israelites, they had the law, they had the prophets, and, and so they know things about God. They, they have these prophecies, and so when Jesus comes and preaches to them and does these miracles, it, it should be like a flashing light, I am he, I am the promised king, I'm the Messiah, you need to follow me. This is like um, arrows pointing to him, and it should be super obvious to the Israelites. And they, and they re- refuse to accept it, right? Well, in Romans, Paul is saying the same thing, but now to Gentiles. And he says, listen, you didn't have the law, you didn't have the prophets, you didn't have like this neon light pointing to them, but actually, in another way, you did. And so he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who have suppressed the truth. So these Gentiles have suppressed the truth, pushed it away. They've turned in a different direction, and he's saying, "You've done this, even though God has revealed Himself to you. How has He revealed Himself? Well, through nature, through through uh, a, a conscience, through all these various ways. Not necessarily through this divine revelation of law, but through these other ways, it has. He has revealed Himself to you, and it specifically says, Paul says." Therefore, you are without excuse. He has revealed his himself to you in such a way that you can't be like, well, um, I couldn't really see it. He says, no, 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 you don't have any excuse. It's kind of like the little child when you start to, um, discipline the child and he's like, well, but he hit me first. Yes. I like, No, 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 You did not have any excuse to pile drive the kid. Right? Like, no, no, no excuses. You know, better. And this is what Paul says in the book of Romans. You know better, and this is how it continues on. You can read this later. I'll give you the reference. You can write it down. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and it continues on. But here's here's where I want us to get to, is that they were without excuse. They suppressed the truth. And so guess what God does to them? Guess what he does? It says, God gave them up. God gave them up to a depraved mind, to less of the heart. Their, their hearts were so darkened, it says, that he gives them up and gives them over to what they want. So it's kind of this illustration, if if you are ever had to like even babysit kids, but if you have kids, sometimes like um, they're near you, and you say, come here, and they start to run away, and you grab them, or they're trying to grab for something, or maybe they're running out into the middle of the street, and so you... You know, chasing a ball or something, so you grab them and they're yanking and yanking, and you're pulling on them, and you're saying, No, 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 stay here, come here. And they're pulling and pulling, and you're like, No, 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 come here. This is dangerous, this is bad. And they're like, No. And they won't stop. Have you ever had that where you go, okay? And you let them go? And what happens? <gasps> they fall, they hurt themselves, they start crying. Like Hey. You should have listened, right? In a similar way, I think this is what we see in the book of Matthew. Jesus is being very clear. He's holding on to them being very clear and he's calling them to repentance and he's doing these mighty works saying I'm t- tell I'm telling you who I am. S- turn. Stop. And it I think here in chapter 13, there is no way which he lets go. It's an act of judgment. He knows the direction they're going to go. Later, um, Jesus is described as a stumbling block for them. They stumble over him. They fall because of him. And I think we're seeing that here where he finally says, all right, if you do not repent, I'm going to still give you the word, but it's going to be veiled. There's this weird thing where he's still, he's still calling. He's still showing grace, but there's another side where he's also proclaiming judgment upon them. This is a, this is a serious and dangerous place to be. And we see that taking place here in chapter 13. All right. I purposely skipped over verses 11 and 12, um, but let me, let me read it for you because it explains this idea very well. It says, verse 12, for to the one who has more will be given. Who would that be in our passage? It would be the disciples, right? And he will have an abundance But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. There it is, right? God, he's speaking to both the disciples and the crowds. The disciples are receiving. More will be giving. Some of these people, at least, the leaders and some of the people in the crowd are rejecting. And so he goes, okay, I'm, I'm bringing it back in. This is what this is what he's describing here. This is why he's speaking to them in parables. But here's the wonderful thing. Even though there is judgment, we see that there's blessing. There's judgment upon the crowd. But then he turns to his disciples. And this is in verse 16 where he says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And so the Old Testament prophets and righteous, this is the key word, they longed for. They longed for what the disciples see and they hear. And I think that's the key word, longed. They yearned. They, they were looking for it. They were seeking it. They were searching it out. They understood that they were in great need, and therefore their hearts were open to the coming kingdom. There was something about the prophets and the righteous in the Old Testament that was separate from the Israelites that were, the you know, judgment was speaking on them, They 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 longed for god and his word and it has to do with the heart the question is is your heart open to the coming kingdom you know the beatitudes kind of talk about this pointing to the heart do you thirst and hunger for god and his word do you see your deep need do you are you Poor in spirit, meaning that you you see your need and are seeking for comfort. Or is your heart hardened to God's word? And this is precisely what Jesus is addressing in this parable. All right, so I'm going to skip a few things because of time, but... We've heard the parable, we know why he is speaking in parables, and now we see Jesus explain or reveal the meaning to his disciples. Okay, so he's going to explain this for us. This is Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 18. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And so I think this is an accurate picture of what we've been already looking at when it comes to the Pharisees and the scribes. Matthew's been showing us this interaction with Jesus and these religious leaders, and we see that their hearts were hardened. It's, it's like this dirt path, a hardened path where the, the truth could not penetrate their hearts. The truth was lost to them as if the evil one came by and just snatched it away, right? It, it went on deaf ears. It landed, boom, gone. And so in the book of Romans, it kind of describes this as well, that they exchanged, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie is another way of looking at it. And I think this is what Jesus is saying in this parable about the, the hard path and, and the birds coming, which is the evil one coming. I think this is very similar because the evil one is the father of all lies. So the evil one comes in, snatches the truth and takes it away, but he kind of leaves something there. It's the lie. It's the lie. Believing the lie. And this is exactly what the evil one does. In chapter 12, when Jesus heals, and let me give you an example. When um, Back in chapter 12, when Jesus heals a blind and mute man, the people... The people see this and they actually start to kind of wonder, wait a minute, could this be the son of God that they're prophesying about? Could it? Maybe? What's going on here? They, they start to wonder, how do the Pharisees respond? They're like, no, no. Yeah, he's got power. We can't, we can't combat those miracles. There are miracles, but um, <clears throat> he's doing them by the power of Beelzebub. It's like, whoa. Talk about exchanging the truth for a lie. This is exactly what the Pharisees do. They reject the truth. They believe the lie. They even they even teach or proclaim the lie. So this is the picture of the sea that falls on the dirt path. The heart is so hardened that the truth just gets snatched away, and all that is left is lies. All right, so that's the dirt path. Now, verse 20, we read about the seed that falls on rocky ground. Verse 20, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when, and this is key, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And so this is a warning that just because there are initial, what I would call affections or desires, affections for Jesus and his gospel, it doesn't mean it will last. We can often get caught up in, the moment, and turn to religion, and move in that direction for a time, for wrong reasons. All right, um, I'm gonna. Is this confession time? This is when I was really young. This is when I, um, I. I don't even know if I was a. I wasn't a Christian at this time. I think I was like 13 or 14, but I. My mom made me go to church. And um, I was—I uh, think I was invited to. Do you guys know who Carmen is? He was a singer, songwriter. Oh, I, lo- I love how you when you when you acknowledge it. You're like, <sighs> <sighs> like it's all because. Okay. Anyways, it's um, look it up sometime. It's like from the '80s. That's all you need to know. It's from the '80s. But anyways, I was this kid. And I mean, he filled this whole stadium and um of all these young people and I was there, I wasn't a Christian. I'm like, this is kind of cheesy um but there were some uh attractive young ladies in front of me that were into it, and I'm kind of like i could I could get into this too this is this isn't bad I could I could raise my hands to this too, right? I could get into this. I could I could feel the flow. I could enjoy this music. I can get into this. Guess what? <clears throat> Motives were wrong. So it's very easy for us to, to come with, you know, it's it's easy to really get into the feelings and the emotions and think that's that's where it lies and and move towards. Jesus, because of what Jesus even has he has done for us. So imagine back then being part of that crowd, and you have a sick mother or father, family member or friend that has cancer or can't walk or can't see, and and there and back then life was at stake because of it, and you hear of this man that's healing, and so you you bring your uh, sick friend to. Him and he gets healed, it's like, woo, I like this guy. Yeah. But it's for the wrong reasons. It's for what Jesus could do for them, the, the, the physical healing. But here, here's the thing even though they were physically healed, they're still dead in their sins. They're still going to die. They still have to come before the king, their creator, and give an account. Jesus came not just to heal. He came to save souls from the wrath of God. And So why are you going to him? What are you putting your faith in? What is it that roots you? Is it because of what God can do for you here on this earth, or is it because that he has saved you from your sin? All right, so that's, we went through the dirt path. We've talked about the, uh, the rock, uh, the rocky ground. Uh, let's get to... Um, the next one, which is the rocky, or which one is it? The thorns, that's it. Uh, Seeds among thorns. This is verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And I think this is one of the greatest dangers for us today as Christians, especially here in the United States. Because we have been greatly blessed with prosperity. We have literally anything we need at our fingertips. Like, yeah, here it is, right? Anything that I want to know, any information that I want, boom, in seconds I have. Do you know there was a time, this is going to date me, there was a time when I actually had to travel to what we called a library, to learn to gain information we don't need that anymore but think about even them back then during the old test or the new testament times they didn't even have libraries i mean it's it's crazy the advancement in technology and now we have comforts that back then they could not even conceive Everything was hard work for them. Just the basic necessities of life was hard work. And for us, it's just, it's easy. I pull out my phone, get information. Anything that I want, I can go on Amazon. And in seconds, I can purchase it and it comes to my door. I don't even have to go get it. Even when it comes to being satisfied, Entertaining, finding joy or pleasure right at my fingertips. And so the question is this for us today. Where are you seeking satisfaction and contentment and joy? Where are you seeking it? Is it in these idols? Because that's exactly what this stuff is. Is it in these idols, which is idolatry? This is exactly what the Israelites were doing, turning to these false gods. These are our false gods today. Is that where are we turning or are we finding satisfaction in God? Here's a great quote by C.H. Spurgeon. He says, the heart has been occupied with something else more than with God. The affections have been set on the things of earth instead of the things of heaven. A jealous God will not be content with a divided heart. We must be, he must be loved first and best. And so this is the picture of seeds falling on soil with thorns, right? Yes, we, we might receive it at first. It might start to grow. But the things of this world begin to choke it out. We start turning to those things instead of God's word. So those are three soils. Here's the last one, verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60 or in another 30. So what is this good soil? Well, In context here, we see that it is the one who hears and understands the word of God. So it's hearing and understanding. However, hearing and understanding is more than just listening and being able to repeat what you heard. It's more than reading a passage and memorizing it and then being able to recite it back. Those are good things to do. But when it comes to understanding, Jesus is talking about something deeper. Hearing and understanding, I think, is another way of saying it like this. Um, We use this word, taking it to heart. It's another way of saying it. Take what you're hearing, taking it to heart. Another way of saying it is accepting it or making it part of you in a way that you will actually live it out. It becomes part of you. And because it becomes part of you, when you're living out your life, it naturally gets expressed in some way. This is that fruit. So let me give you an example of this. Jesus teaches. He says, you are called to love your enemies. Is that something that we receive? That's a word. Is that something that we will receive, that we will understand? Is I can repeat it. I can say it. I know. I understand what he's talking about. But do I truly, truly understand it in such a way that when I see my enemy, when I see someone that speaks against me, or that is angry with me, or that has some kind of offense with me, or that's divided in some way, can I truly love them? And not just say, oh, I love you, but actually express it in a way that people can see that, oh, whoa, that person loves their enemy. You see, that's the fruit that Jesus is talking about here. So does the word of God fall upon our hearts in such a way where it takes root and then is expressed out in our lives? It bears fruit. People see it. God uses it. This is the kind of heart that God is calling us to. All right, let me close with this because I'm we're, we're over time. So let's um, take a step back. Let me summarize this whole section. Okay, so remember, Jesus tells a parable. The disciples ask him why he's speaking in parables and Jesus answers them and then he explains that parable, okay? And here's the irony of this whole situation. All right, I'm hopefully... I explain this in a way that we all understand this. Jesus is confronting the blind, those who cannot hear, those who cannot understand. He's confronting the blind in a parable that is about why they are blind. And he's doing it in a way where they will not be able to see that they're blind. He's talking about them and they won't see that he's actually talking about them. Friends, do you see he's also talking about us? He's talking about our hearts. right? Matthew specifically, I told you uh, earlier that he's speaking to the Israelites and he's he's pointing out their hardness of heart. And I also shared with you Romans, Paul, who's saying the same things, but he's speaking to the Gentiles. Friends, there's only two groups in the world here. There's the Israelites and then there's the Gentiles. That's humanity right there in two different categories. The scriptures are talking about the human heart. Jesus is talking about here, the human heart, my heart and your heart. And so the question is, which soil are you? The call is to seek, to seek out God's word with a humble and contrite heart in a way that it will sprout and bear much fruit. Friends, this is our prayer. And with that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you that Matthew writes the explanation for us of this parable. Because if we just heard it like the crowd heard it, we wouldn't understand either. And so we know and understand and and acknowledge, Lord, that Understanding, true understanding can only come through the power, the mercy, the grace of God. It is you, Lord, who take hard hearts, rocks, or hearts of stone, and replace them with hearts of flesh. You, O Lord, are the one who can take soil that is rocky or hard or that is filled with thorns and till it and reshape it and reform it to make it good soil. Father, would you do that work within us? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.